Hello and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Christy Dehaven. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. On the programme this evening, in just a moment I'm joined by Quasimodo, Esmeralda and Director Dave talking all things Hunchback. And later we'll be hearing from the fabulously talented 11-year-old Alfie Owen and hearing how the Poetry Trail is opening up this year to young writers. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. Forward your art stories and events to spotlight at manxradio.com to be included in future programmes. First up, a fascinating insight into the preparation of a major theatre production as we find out about Douglas Choral Union's upcoming epic at the Gaiety, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Director David Dawson, lead actors Jonathan Slight and Leah Carter share their craft with us and the responsibility they feel putting on a piece that has never been performed or produced outside of America. With the scale of such a project, my first question to Director David had to be, how on earth do you approach something of this size for the Gaiety <laughs> Theatre? Um, with planning. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a huge show. It's never been done before in, in Britain. Um, and it actually has been this has been a, a, a year of my life or just over um, this was being planned while we were kind of getting ready for Shrek because it's it's a, a build from the ground up so there was no scenery so we've um, you know I had to design a set um, it's being built by a brilliant builder called David Walton a set designer and builder in uh, across in England um, and yeah um, it's never been done in Broadway uh, it's been done in America and it was the Disney uh, company, uh, they basically wanted to try and develop a bit further. Um, so it's it's kind of, there's nothing really to look back to. and it, But that's wonderful because it's the freedom now to just really go from a, a blank slate and, and build up, which How is amazing. Exciting. Now you say build up. Are we mm. going to have cathedrals and all sorts on stage? Well, you can't have Notre Dame <laughs> without the bells. Um, and, you know, there's a few things, the Rose Window and things like that, which are kind of iconic. So, um, yes, the, the the whole feeling, I hope, is when people walk in, we want it to be breathtaking. Um and I think we've got that. I think, I think, well, I think we have. We'll have to see. It's not here yet, the set, so we'll see. But it's, um, it's a very different show, very different musical to anything before. It's, it's so beautiful. Um, and I think, hopefully, it's something that is very different to, yeah, that kind of musical. It's not, it's not a, a standard kind of, you know, we say some lines, now we sing this song, we say some lines. It flows so quickly and so well. And it's um, actually narrated the entire way through by the, the congregation, the chorus, effectively. Yeah. Um, and that's massively different. They and have to multitask, they don't they? They really the do. It's not a case of, you know, you, you can go and have a chat in your dressing room and come back and just come on and, and you know, fake talk. It's they are. It's probably almost like a leading role for them, um, which, is, which is wonderful, you know? It's brilliant to get that opportunity. So, yeah, a different show, a very different show. And, um, but I I think possibly it's probably my favorite one I think I've I've ever been involved with I think and I'm so guessing different. there's a lot of color and light in that light and dark I'm guessing in this just just remind people a little bit about the story yeah in case so don't know. um so Victor Hugo who also wrote Les Mis uh the book not the uh, the musical version but the book uh, he also wrote Hunchback of Notre Dame um the book and um it is his his book is dark um you know it is about it is it is a real look at society and actually it's it's quite shocking how society hasn't changed it's looking at um, how we can be cruel to to different people, um, and and why we're cruel. Um, and the biggest thing I think um, f- from that is there's no villain in a sense in, in this show. Uh, whereas you kind of have that that's definitely a villain. 
it, it's very clever because it kind of shows that actually it's it's people aren't villains they're just people can do monstrous things um and that's that's where the kind of dark elements come in um i mean poor leah has probably one of the most beautiful female lead parts and actually you could argue it could be her show in a sense but she's she's basically thrown from pillar to post by a horrible man in frollo the 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 kind of archdeacon it gets kind of uh, the the friendship from from quasimodo and then has a bit of a romantic side with uh, Ophiba. so she's kind of there's a love triangle going on but she bless her is is in a very much a man's world at that time uh, 1482 not much in, in sense of rights and things and she is a gypsy so that also throws in that kind of background of how she's viewed and and and, and abused used almost and it's it's in a sense her trying to find a, a place a, a home and and just for uh, well the song you know someday um which is a beautiful song kind of shows you know that hope for a better world a better future where we all respect each other and we're all kind of we're not trying to be one-upping each other or, or putting other people down um so that's a very kind of difficult role actually um but beautiful role as well well let's come to you then leah um you are one of the Esmeraldas. I mean, yes. that is quite an iconic role to play. How <laughs> yeah. did you feel when you found out that you had got this role? Oh, I was over the moon, like really, really over the moon. I haven't performed in quite a long time. Um, so it took a lot of guts to kind of say, right, I'm going to go for this. Because, I mean, I wanted to settle in back to the island life because I have just moved back from uh, from London. But, you know, what better way than, you know, to reconnect with people who I haven't seen for a long time and to get back doing what I love and, and just, you know, utilising those skills that I've worked so hard for I guess as well so yeah so getting that phone call from Dorsey saying that I'd I'd got the part was like wow I was really 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 proud of myself to be honest um but yeah and then obviously we have Vic Wilde who's who's playing understudy Esmeralda as well um and we're like a little team together you know she's she's doing two nights two performances and yeah so we work well together we just kind of you know she has a go I have a go and we sort of bounce off each other as well which is really nice and yeah. you know Dave was just saying there that he sees Esmeralda really as being the the key character in this entire show I yeah. mean that, does that do you feel the pressure of that a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean she is she well she she's the driving force of the show um obviously we have uh, Quasimodo who without him it would not be a show we wouldn't um, have a hunchback yes exactly <laughs> But yeah, she is, and and she's so brave and courageous, and she sort of fights for what she believes in, um, and fights for the Romani Gypsies as well, um, which is which is really really you know really brave of her. And yeah, obviously she has her romantic side with uh, with Phoebus, and you know the sort of sentimental, compassionate side with with Quasi as well, uh, which is really lovely to play with Jonathan and Liam as well. Yeah. When you when you take on a role like this, I mean, you obviously know her character inside and out. Do you take a little piece of the characters with you after the show? Um, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot from her, to be honest. Um, you know, to to stand up for what I believe in as well, and and to to say no, it's okay to say no if you want to, if you don't want to, you know, don't want to go along with something. And and yeah, I think yeah, I've just definitely taken taken a lot from her and, and learned a lot from from. On her life as well. Okay, so we are now going to come to the hunchback in the room. Uh, we've got Jonathan with us, who is playing Quasimodo. How do you become Quasimodo? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, that's a, been a long process, to be honest. I think where I started is um, a long way from where I am now, in a good way, I hope. It's just the challenge I was after, really, at first. I think initially I looked at Phoebus, and um, to be honest, at the time I thought he was a bit two-dimensional, but now I see Tony doing it. I think not at all. He's he's a complex character. But I wanted the challenge, the physical challenge, and the songs are so big. 
Um, and yeah, I got it. A challenge. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's a lot of physical stuff we've had to do. Um, DCU have been really good to look after us because you could hurt yourself doing some of the stuff we're having to do. But um, so do you? Do you get to sort of like fly around the stage a little bit and jump around? And yeah, we will do, but we haven't we haven't quite got there yet. So um, yeah, we jump off chairs a lot. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a very physical role, but um, it's complex because we were saying just before. Um, a lot of times you play characters and they're, they're, they, they're either one thing or another, but Quasi has to go through so many emotions on his journey. It's, um, it's, been, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's been great. Really enjoyed it. I mean, you've gone from donkey to hunchback. That's, yes, yeah. That's quite the transformation. I know, I know, I know. I think, yeah. It's, I don't, I'm, I'm slightly concerned as to what comes next. Quasi, um, a donkey to a Quasimodo. But Where no, do you go after that? I know, I know, exactly. I know. But um, no, it's been, it's been, um, it's, it's still evolving, to be honest. And yeah. there must be quite a visual transformation for you as well so I'm assuming you must have you have a, a, a hunchback that you have to sort of yeah, add yeah yeah so I've got a stunt hunch which we've been <laughs> using um, initially I, I started off um, tying myself into a position where I was forced to hunch but um, I've gotten rid of that now like on David's advice because it's a bit more fluid without it but it's uh, well but tonight we're trying prosthetics and um, so it's it's gonna be the thing is like we were we've discussed this earlier you don't want to go over the top because people expect to see something from the hunchback, but if you do it too much, it's either it's either going to make people laugh or they're going to be you played that a bit too much. So it's it's not it's not it's it's subtle, but you'll see it. Yeah. Well, I just think the beautiful thing about the characters are, I think originally a lot of the the actors were trying to drop quite heavy characters in. It's like you know I'm playing Quasimodo, so therefore I must be this. I'm playing Frollo, so I must be dark and things. And actually, the the beautiful thing is it's not. It's not the the Disney cartoon. It's 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 more focused towards the book, um, and therefore the characters are, are real people. So you're you're really looking at really quite three D characters in terms of you've got Quasimodo who who's led an, an abusive life, and this is where the darkness side comes in. You know he's been effectively locked away, and that kind of rhetoric driven into him of him being deformed, being ugly, to try and keep him locked away by Frollo, and and Frollo is doing that to kind of for his own pride to kind of keep him out of sight so he doesn't get connected with him. Uh, and, and kind of keeping his status, so it's it's a for the actors is actually extremely difficult to think of the kind of the, the how it flows and how it changes throughout. It's a roller coaster for them. Their their emotions are changing so much, especially when when Quasimodo meets uh, Esmeralda. You know, for the first time in his life, there is actually a pure kindness there. Somebody who will actually doesn't want anything from him, isn't trying to kind of abuse him or, or control him. Um, and and that sense of freedom then is the real catalyst for for Quasimodo to just kind of want to escape and want to see the world and be there as well a bit more and, and help people and start to question almost his abuser and, and you know and starting to see what Frollo is really like. Um, you are living and know, breathing this, aren't you? I have, you know, honestly, it's it's been it's been a lot of work. You know, we we it started with reading the book, and and you've got to you've got to understand to to show the characters and for the audience to connect with them, we have to show the real people. Um, and you, this is a show. It's amazing how quickly this show goes. You sit there and you start, and the next minute it's like end of Act One, and you just do not know where it's gone. Uh, and we've done that also through how we've set it uh, and how it moves um through from scene to scene that helps but actually it's 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 just the the pace of seeing these characters and there are beautiful funny moments you know there are parts where you're absolutely wetting yourself <laughs> and then the next minute you know you suddenly realize you've got tears coming down your face and that's the beauty of the writing uh the beauty of the, the subject matter and things and i think that's where people 
are really going to enjoy it. Um, Do you, you know, feel a, a big responsibility here? Because as you say, this hasn't really been performed very much at all. It, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky, very lucky. And I keep kind of waking up and saying this, you know, it, 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 people talk about it all the time, but we are on an island with a, a theatre like the Gaiety Theatre, which is one is, is just astounding and unbelievable. And people don't entirely still get that, I don't think. But the other thing is, you know, we're with a society with the Douglas Union that's been around for over 125 years now, um, and they've they've got they've they've worked to get that kind of ability to get to the stage where we can be building our own scenery, we can be bringing in the best costumes, um, and that's from you know past support from the public and things like that. But it does put pressure on because you know they're they're using a local uh, production team now, and I'm very grateful to be to be asked to be involved in that. Um, but you learn from past directors. But yeah, you know, the book ends at me. If it's a, if it's a bad show, it's the director's fault. If it's a great show, it's everybody else. And that's how it should be. You know, um, you kind of want people not to notice um, how good it is in a sense. You also kind of want it to wash over them. I kind of keep using the swan uh, analogy of, and this show is that, you know, it, it actually is so difficult, but it looks easy. Um, and as long as we get that, we, we know we've, we've done right. But yeah, you've got to invest. I think if you're not invested, um, it, people won't believe it, I yeah. think. And Leah, having come back now, just listening yeah. to what Dave is saying there, have you noticed that, that the sort of the standard has upped since you've been away? Do you oh, think that, that we've upped our game here with regards to production? Massively, yeah. Like just comparing even like the auditions and stuff like that, you know, I went in and had to learn, I think it was two songs, uh, five scenes. You know, it does definitely have similarities to, to across auditions and stuff. Um, I was very nervous at the auditions. Um Definitely, and also like the cast is just so incredible. There's, I don't think there's one weak link in the cast. Um, the congregation, like as you know, Dossie said, they 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 do carry the show as well, and there's lots of sort of physical theatre elements in there, so it all does flow, and they are on the majority of the time. And you know, heaven forbid, touch wood, uh, a COVID situation was to happen. Um, I know that we're we're a massive team, and you know, someone would step in. You know, we've talked about. You know, if if you're not on on that scene, think about learning those person's lines, and and everyone would just pull together. Like yeah. it's it's yeah, it's really lovely. It's to a be family. Part. It is it definitely, is definitely. Yeah. yeah. And we talked a bit about the staging uh, before with Jonathan. Uh, just how important is it for you to have that atmosphere created for you on stage when you're playing something that is quite sort of otherworldly in a character? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a scene which is which is really unpleasant to be honest when he's uh, when he's out in the square and he kind of gets as a mob surround him and uh, yeah, we've been saying for a while, you know, people uh, you feed off people's energy and it's it's hard for people to be nasty, but uh, when they do, it's it's very uncomfortable, um, which makes you you know do your part a little bit better. But yeah, the, the congregation and the cast are so strong; it's um, it makes it easier for you because. When you're but like even if Quasi's on his own, he's never on his own because he's got his gargoyles and his statues, and the guys doing the gargoyles uh, and the statues are brilliant too. So if you're, you know, thinking of something and giving a line, and you turn around, there might be three gargoyles giving you stuff back, and that's no brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's it's much easier for you then, and it, everyone just raises the game then. So it's good. Oh, I've got to say, I'm really excited about it. It sounds so good. So Dave, just let us know then when is it on, and how can people get tickets? So it's really close by. It's uh, we open on Friday the 11th of February. Um, and it goes on to Saturday the nineteenth, um, and the it's the usual box office number six hundred five 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 or the website. So and there's a bit of a special for Valentine's. There day. 
is. So if you're quick enough, though, because it isn't on for a long time, but if you're quick enough, rather than just kind of a meal, um, I think, yeah, get those tickets. It's two for one, I think it is. Um, so you can you can go and, and bring your lovely other half to uh, to watch an amazing musical. Oh, and Jonathan, I have to ask, do you get to do the immortal line saying the name? Do you get to do the Esmeralda line? Yeah, yeah, and the bells as well. The there's, bells. there's a bell. <laughs> yeah. When you say I'm um, playing Quasimodo, people look at you for a minute. They're trying to work out a funny joke. And if they can't think of a joke, they just go, the bells. Like, yeah. <laughs> 300 times. Is that I've a sneak that. preview? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's slightly better than that. Than that. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Listen, all the best. Break a leg, but obviously don't, jumping off no. things. But it's wonderful to see you all, and I'm sure it'll be a fabulous success. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thanks very much. Many thanks to David Dawson, Jonathan Slight and Leah Carter for speaking with me. Don't forget to get your tickets for the production. You can call the box office on 600 5. Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Do you know any talented young poets who'd like to see their work on display to the Isle of Man public? The Poetry Trail is opening up to a wider and smaller audience. My name is Bethany Delee Runciman. I'm chairperson of the Isle of Man Poetry Society and I've been running the Poetry Trail on the Isle of Man. It started about 10 years ago, but I have only... Well, I've been doing it for seven years. I took over from Ruth Baxendale and um, it's been very successful, the the adult one, um, over the seven years. Uh, We expanded it last year to include Ramsey and Peel um, as venues for the poems. So this year, well, I've been conscious that um, a number of parents have asked me about children entering the poetry trail and um, I have had some, some poets, some children enter and done well. Um, but I've, there's, there's a child in the background yes. there, that's Ava. <laughs> we'll be speaking to Ava's brother Alfie shortly, but yeah. yeah. So I, I decided to start running a children's poetry trail and um, I'm, I'm just doing it for school years seven, eight and nine. They, it'll be run exactly along the lines of the adult poetry trail. Um, so there'll be 10 winning poems going up in Douglas Town Centre. The closing date is the 18th of February. The winning poems will be up for four weeks over Easter and um, just before they go up, there'll be a, a little bit of a launch ceremony for that. So if you have a child or know of one in year eight, seven, eight or nine, um, then, yeah, please come along and enter. Um, I've got poetry. I've got entry forms in the family library and all the other libraries, but the family library in particular. Um, I've contacted all the secondary schools about this, so hopefully English teachers will know. And people can also email me. Uh, it's on Facebook, Isle of Man Poetry Trail as well. How, no. sort of, how sort of long do the poems have to be? Well, the poems m- mustn't be more than 25 lines because it just becomes physically impossible to put them on an A4 piece of paper that, that looks good. Yeah, so 25 lines or less. Just write a poem about whatever you like. Um, obviously, the poems have to be displayed in public, but uh, apart from that, um, they can be about football or school or friendship or whatever they, they like. Am I all right to ask how old you were when you started writing poetry, Bethany? Well, I think I, I, um, I think I was about fifteen because I've got a poem um, 
when Santa got stuck up the chimney was certainly one of the first ever poems I ever wrote and that was about mid-teens. Um, I wrote a lot of poetry when I wasn't, wasn't very well in my mid-twenties when I was actually in and out of psychiatric hospital and I found wrote, writing poetry was one of the best things because what I couldn't express with my voice I could put down on paper and, and that's what it really helped me, that did... So in that respect, actually, it might be very useful for children of today for the same reasons. Oh, very much so, yes. Um, I think poetry is is good because it, it's fairly short, it's simple, um, and um, yes, it's easy to get out feelings. But of course, children these days are so much more precious in life um, with the with the, with um, the social media and um, competitiveness and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us as well then about the Isle of Man Poetry Society itself. Well, the society was um, formed in 2000 um, with the aim of promoting poetry on the island. Um, we uh, hold um, a monthly poetry um, get-together for anyone, any adult um, can come along. Um, we have 40 members in the society. Um, some come along to the gatherings at the Archibald Knox and... Um, uh, we um, have we publish two uh, poetry books a year um, called Manx Reflections, and um, we're up to number thirteen now. Um, but um, all members of the Poetry Society can put forward poems to be published into that, um, and that's that's really going really well. Um, yeah, so we're just trying to ex- expand the the Poetry Society. Um, I have my eyes on some of the outdoor features on the prom uh, for this summer, um, if we can get some um, live poetry sessions out, out there. Yeah. That's exciting to hear. Wonderful yeah. stuff. And have you found that you've you've discovered more poets over the time of lockdown? Because as we were saying, the idea of poetry sort of enabling you to express yourself. Have you found more poets through this? Yes, we have. Um, I think there's about six people who've um, uh, expressed an interest or we've had um, certainly three of them have come down to poetry meetings. Um, I, in fact, poetry has, has just become a, a revolution um, when I started as poetry um, chairperson I was embarrassed to call myself Alaman Poetry Society chairperson um, and uh, over the past seven years I mean it's just gone viral um, all the sort of the, the poetry rap um, the, the music um, as well associated with it um, but the poetry slams we have one of them on the island the Banks Bard as well um, there's all sorts of aspects of poetry poetry now that um, are really cool and hip to do and yeah take part in it's a healthy scene and one that because of the, the nature of the poetry you're talking about probably more attractive to the youth in a way which is what we're talking about yes yes um could do with a few more young people in the society <laughs> yes <laughs> well you never know alfie might just join you yet fingers yes. crossed yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so tell us where we can find the society the society, um, there's um, on Facebook, there's the Isle of Man Poetry Society as well as the Isle of Man Poetry Trail. Um, I, I run that, so all the information to contact me is on there. Um, you can all, also um, drop me an email at bethany at manxcat.org.uk. Um, and um, we're, um, I mean, the, the um, 
the entry forms and the guidelines are around in the libraries now and in the family library um, and I'm hoping some of the schools um, we can link up um, the society with the trail and some of the schools to get um, poetry through I've had a few children enter the poet- adult poetry trail Alfie has won um, and they have won um, I mean in particular two brothers who wrote stunning poetry when they were only 13 and 15 years old so um, I certainly to encourage more children you know to do it now and then hopefully when they become adults they'll continue. Bethany Dilley runs him and now let's hear from one of those talented young people. 11 year old Alfie Owen came in to see us along with mum Sarah and little sister Ava. He has three generations of poets in his family which might explain his interest but I was still intrigued to know how and when his own poetry journey began. Um, it started a couple of years ago when I sadly lost my brother and I started writing stuff about that. Oh, tell me about your brother. My brother was born really early and he sadly passed away and I just one night I thought I'm going to write something down and then I ended up writing poem about my brother. And how did that make you feel? Uh, it made me feel a lot better, yeah. So you wrote that one and then has that sort of encouraged you now to keep writing more? Yeah. And what sort of things do you like to write about? Um, I don't know, whatever really pops into my head, like here I've got one called Now We Remember where I wrote it about the war. At school we were writing poems and I thought I'd just write one about the war because it was November time. These are quite heavy topics, though. So these are topics that presumably you must be quite a sensitive soul who feels things, and so does it help when you put them down on paper? Is that you sort of putting your feelings down then? Yeah, it helps a lot, like, to write stuff down instead of say it. Isn't that interesting? Now, we're going to come to Sarah, Mum Sarah. Sarah, that must have been quite something. When did you first learn about the poem that Alfie wrote about his brother? Um, he actually showed me straight away. Um, he, in the poem, it was sort of all the questions that he probably wanted to ask, but just didn't know how. And as as Bethany touched on earlier, sometimes you've got a lot of things going on in your head that don't come out very well when you voice them, but they come out a lot better on a piece of paper. And that's exactly what Alfie did. I think his poem was called "How Does Heaven Feel," so it had lots of questions about, you know, what what's it like up there if Arlo you know is he with family members is he with all the babies so obviously it was those questions that we don't actually really know the answer to but obviously those questions are inside Alfie's head and he wanted to get them down and and out which did really help him so it would have started a conversation with you as well yeah it did it did um that I, I was really proud of him for doing it and actually he, he came to me while he was writing the poem because he needed a couple of things to rhyme with and he, and he wanted to know if I could help him <laughs> with those things. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I, it really did. It did help him and, and it did help us like, sort of open up those discussions as to what was going on inside Hi. his head. And as well as a reader, because obviously that's talking about Alfie from the writing point of view, you reading it, what did you feel when you read the poem? Oh, very emotional. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I, obviously I, I write poems as well and 
I feel better after writing a poem, but then sometimes it's the reaction of other people and they go, wow, that's so powerful. And you you don't even think of it being like that because it's literally just the words that have gone round in your head. So I was very emotional when I read Alfie's poem, which gave me an insight into how others have felt about poems I've written about Arlo as well. So tell me when you first started writing. Primary school, same as Alfie. Um, I wrote a lot of... Um, a lot of sort of teen angst poems as well during my teenage years, which I have actually written a poem about that, which should probably never come to light again. They should maybe rest in peace. Um, but as I say, it does it does help you with all those things when you're growing up. It helps you. That's just the sound of Ava, who's wanting to join in as well, isn't it? How old's Ava? Uh, Ava is three and a half. And she's already quite vocal. You never know, there might be another little poet there. Yeah, I think there could be. Yeah. She likes a rhyming book. She likes yeah. a rhyming book. Oh, very, I love very that. Vocal. <laughs> very, she talks a lot. <laughs> That's no bad thing, though, really, no. is no. it? No, especially if you want to be a performance poet. Do you perform your poetry, Alfie? Uh, well, at the Poetry Society, I read them out like when it is and it was at the poetry trail launch wasn't it yeah um we entered this year but we weren't winners this year and we we both well alfie myself and my mum so alfie's nana we all won three generations generations. um not this year but last year so alfie so we've we've known bethany for a couple of years now and um she asked invited us down to write to read other people's poems that couldn't be there so alfie did really well standing up and reading out somebody else's poem which i think is even more difficult than reading your own out to be honest it is what was that like for you alfie um some some words you'd just be stood there reading it and then there'd be a 15 letter word and you'd wonder what it was and like you couldn't read it and like we, we, um, we wrote we read a line each didn't we because yeah. there are quite a lot of tricky words it's obviously not the language a, a 10 year old at the time would would be using so it was it was different for Alfie so we we joined together and read it Together. Oh, what a lovely thing to do. So this is like a whole family kind of event, the writing poetry for you guys, isn't yeah. it? Which is lovely. Uh, so what what do your friends make of the fact that you write poetry, Alfie? Do any of them write poetry as well? Well, in year three, I brought a poem in. I brought the Arlo poem in that I wrote and I read it out to the class. I made four people cry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, um, for the war one... Like, it wasn't even remembrance time. It was, like, September. I walked up to my teacher when we were doing maths, so complete opposite. Um, I said, oh, Miss Gravestock, I've wrote this. And she went, oh, my God, can I read this out to the class? And I went, yeah, why not? Why not? And she read it out. That's so cool. I'm intrigued to know if you, if there's any other kind of poets or rappers or anyone that you like that you look up to. Do you listen to anything like that or look, or read anything like that? Um, I like a lot of, I like rap music, but I also like kind of calm, slow music. Depends how I'm feeling. Ed Sheeran's good, like. Because um, lyrics are poetry anyway, really, aren't they? Yeah, I said yeah. that to Alfie, I said they are, lyrics are, you know, they, they start off as poetry usually and yeah. then they're, they're turned into a song from that. So a lot of the things he listens to have originally been a poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, in year five, I think, me, so it was People of Colour came in and um, they they came in to talk to us and we had to write, like, a rap or a song about it and it was a group of four um, me, 
my friend who's a really good musician, my friend who can do a lot on the iPad, and then my friend who's really, really confident and can read a lot out. Um, so I wrote, I wrote some stuff down. So my friend brought his guitar in. He put a song behind it. And then my other friend, like, put a beat behind it. And then when the people of colour came in, it was it was really cool because the stage was up. It was after Christmas and the stage was up. So he got to, like, stand there and perform in front of everyone. And um, I think it was Believer that we, like, changed into a anti-racism song. That's amazing. So it's not, you're sort of expressing yourself about personal things, but also about that society and politics, which is an amazing thing to have been able to do that. What's it looking like for your future then in poetry or arts or music or what do you want to do with it, Alfie? Um, I'm not quite sure, but like, it's just easier to write them down and then decide to like, write what you can and then decide what you want to do with it. So, yeah. So if you were trying to encourage some of your friends to maybe take part in this poetry trail that we've been hearing about, what would you say to them? Um, I'd say it's really good. I'd say if you if there's anger or sadness inside you, you can get that out by writing it down. So, Alfie, you've got a poem that you're going to read for us. Uh, what's it called and what's it about before we hear it? Um, it's called Open My Window and... Uh, it was really early in the morning and I was in my bedroom but my mum wouldn't let me go downstairs So, and it was like the middle of summer so I, I was really hot and I found a notebook so I just scribbled something down. That... How long did it take you to write it? It, it only took me about 10-15 minutes. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, do you know what, Alfie? Take it away then. Okay. Open my window, I'm hot like the sun. Open my window, I'm like a hot cross bun. Open my window, let me fly. Open my window, let me soar through the sky. Open my window, I'll fly to Mars. Open my window, I'll jump to the stars. Open my window, it's hot in here. Open my window or I'll disappear. Open my window, I think I'll melt. Open my window, this is the hottest I've felt. Close my window, it's cold outside. Close my window, I've changed my mind. I love that because it's got a real element of humour in it as well. Do you like to add a little bit of humour to your poetry? Yeah. Uh, Alfie, it's been an absolute joy talking to you and meeting Ava and Sarah as well. Thank you for coming in. And uh, we've heard from Bethany all about the poetry trail as well. So do be sure to follow the Isle of Man Poetry Society to find out all about that. Keep us posted on your work, won't you, Alfie? Yep. What a remarkable young man. That's it for this week. Next week, ceramicist turned painter Martin Hearn on his superb new exhibition at the Manx Museum. And Peter Schumann tells us all about his plans for the former Kensington Youth Art Centre. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with any art-related stories, drop us a line, spotlight at manxradio.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great creative week.